This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. listening to new music on the region an interview-based podcast that showcases new music and provides industry insight i'm your host christina lavecchia music director at 105.9 the region when an artist says they are hitting the road and going on tour buses and planes typically come to mind but not for edmonton-based irish canadian rocker old stella the zero waste advocate hence the zero in her name is currently on a one-woman canada-wide cycling album tour Stella is on the line with me now to tell us more about it. You're under a tree now, taking a little break from the cycling tour. Hi, Christina. I am. Yeah, I had uh, a morning of technical hiccups with uh, faulty inner tubes and flat tires following a day of uh, dodgy gears and stuff yesterday. So been uh, I've been through the ringer with uh, technical issues so far so I'm only too happy to pull over and talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well you're a month over into the tour and one of my first questions was going to be how's it going? Is it what you expected or were there some surprises along the way? Oh there's definitely been surprises (laughs) along the way. Most of them good though. My most recent surprise was uh, a bike technician just showing up in my In my day, uh, just at the right time, his name is Joe, and he saved my bacon. Um, But really, overall, um, yeah, it's been generally as expected, playing house concerts and that type of thing. It's been loads of fun. And yeah, up until just the last couple of days, uh, everything has been very smooth until I hit a couple of technical issues. So yeah, the people I've met have just been spectacularly kind and helpful and generous it's been so much fun and are you a cyclist or is this um you're kind of more or less your first go at at uh, a long distance uh riding oh gosh no i i would genuinely be insane to try and do a music <laughs> tour combined with my yeah. first long distance cycle and pick canada to do that with oh my yeah. god as it is it's enough um i've never done bike packing before which means packing your entire life onto a bicycle mm-hmm. uh, including a tent and just making your own way across a country or a province, whatever you're doing. So I've done loads of cycling in Ireland. I never really owned a car in Ireland before I moved to Canada. And I did lots of um, long distance charity cycles over the years um, in Ireland and in Argentina and stuff like that. So I definitely have mileage in my legs, although I took a 15 year break from that when I moved to Canada and I was too scared to cycle on the roads. But getting over that very quickly, this is the first time I've ever done an unsupported tour, which means that there's no technical crew traveling with me. There's no first aid. There's no there's no car following me for support of any kind. So wow. I'm on my own, which is why the, the bike technician showing up out of the blue was a total godsend. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And you could follow Ostella's bike tour on her Instagram at Ostella Music. How did the concept of the tour come about? Well, um, I've always been an advocate of zero waste, hence the zero in my name, as you said in the introduction. Um, and during 2020, uh, a couple of musical heroes of mine were remarking on how 
the clean skies had gotten them thinking about how they could rejig their world tours and have fewer transatlantic flights involved. And I ended up being accepted to an artist residency in France. So I thought that would be an excellent opportunity to limit myself to one transatlantic flight to Europe and figure out the rest of it in the most sustainable way as I could. And then, of course, as COVID would do, uh, the residency ended up getting postponed and the other plans I had kind of fell through. Um, It was generally involving um, a myriad of different forms of transport. And ultimately, I was left with my bicycle and an album to promote. So I figured I'll just put my money where my mouth is and get on my bike and do just live the life I'm trying to advocate for and take the opportunity to see Canada in all its intimacy slowly on a bicycle. And it's been incredible. And I've been playing pop-up shows on the lookout over a to pop-up shows in the middle of marinas and house concerts all the way along. So it's been really very unique and uh, a whole lot of fun. As you were saying, the tour is in support of your album, Freefall. Did you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, Freefall is the first part of a concept album that's coming out in 2023. And that album is split into two smaller albums. Uh, Freefall is the first, which is coming out this October 28th. And its twin will come out next year. So there's a single coming every month from Freefall this summer. So... I've got a single coming out called Weightless on the 3rd of June. So it's already out at this point, actually. Um, And uh, yeah, there'll be another one coming in July and August. And then there'll be an album release party in the Aviary in Edmonton on the Friday 28th of October when it releases. Is that when your tour ends? God, I hope I'm finished before then. <laughs> um, I was I was budgeting four to five months to get this tour done. Um, regular bike packers tend to go across Canada anywhere from like the fast end would be like two and a half months to the average being like three, three and a half months. So I figured since I'm stopping off to play house concerts and shows along the way, I give myself a bit more time. So four to five months is the ideal. Um, but As it turns out, the bike rig I have with me with all my bags and guitar and everything on it is very heavy. And Mm -hmm. uh, the Rocky Mountains are going to make or break that timeline for me, I think. So it's just taking it a day at a time until then and figure out where I'm at when I hit Alberta pretty much. And then I'll know how long it's going to take me to do the rest of it. You haven't hit Toronto yet, right? You haven't? uh... Oh, gosh, no, no. I'm only in BC right now. Oh, okay, okay. When will you be hitting Toronto? Just so listeners know when to expect you and how they could catch your show. Yeah, well, I'm aiming for August to be hitting Toronto area. And if anyone's interested in hosting a house concert or finding out where a house concert might be close to them, their best thing to do would be to sign up to my mailing list on ocella.com. Again, you have to put in a zero, stella.com. Sign up to the mailing list there and then you'll find out where I'm going to be ahead of the rest of the public. So you're able to book me for a house concert or figure out where there's one close to you as well. So that's the best thing to do. To help Ostella on this tour, she is accepting donations. Did you want to tell our listeners about that and how they could support your Zero Waste Tour? Yeah, absolutely. Well, right now there is a donation button on the website. 
very shortly there's going to be a whole tier full of pre-sale items that you can get for the upcoming album and extra goodies that will go in that as well so yeah but right now it's just a donation button and also booking me for a house concert is really the best way you can support me um yeah because that's how this uh self-funded tour is surviving is on show booking <laughs> yeah like you're saying like you come across a lot of hiccups along the way and a lot of stuff is unexpected right so I guess any any little bit could help yeah absolutely and that's why as well like um a lot of people are asking like oh when is your next show and that's why I've chosen to do this whole tour based on house concerts because um to book hard ticket dates and venues is far too much of a gamble at this point because I would run the risk of rushing myself uh, to an extreme pace that's uh, unsustainable or just um, cancelling on bookers, which I definitely do not like to do. So uh, the more reliable thing to do is do house concerts that have a little more wiggle room in terms of dates and that kind of thing. So, um, So yeah, that's what I'm doing. And to get updates along the way, you could head on over to her Instagram at Ostella Music, which is, again, the number zero, Stella Music. And she will be hitting Toronto, um, I believe you said the month of August. So you could check out her website there um, to check out when she's closer to the city. Stay safe. We'll see you when you hit Toronto. Okay, wicked. Thanks very much, Christina. I look forward to seeing you soon. This is Ostella's latest track, Waitlist. You're listening to New Music on the Region podcast.
an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. Welcome to the Canadian Museums Association podcast. This is the second episode in a three-part series centered around the state of museums today through the lens of our 2022 conference theme, Dismantling Foundations to Build a Better Tomorrow. We are hearing from three speakers as they bring us through some of the present, past, and future considerations impacting the Canadian museum sector. Massimo Bergamini is CEO and Executive Director of the Canadian Museums Association. Heather George is an Indigenous curator currently working at the Woodland Cultural Centre and a CMA board member. And Luann Neal is an artist and arts advocate currently working at Creative BC, British Columbia's creative industry catalyst. Following a three-year tenure as head of Indigenous Collections at the Royal BC Museum, Luann is also a sitting member of the CMA Reconciliation Council. Last time, we addressed the current state of affairs and the struggle that museums are facing to live up to quickly shifting societal expectations. Today, we ask the question, what brought us here? By looking into the past and into some of the factors unique to our shared history that have led us to this point. There is a sense that we are at an inflection point, that we are being judged by what we do and what we don't do. Massimo Bergamini, Executive Director and CEO of the Canadian Museums Association, says the country's heritage institutions are at a critical turning point amid great expectations. And so the CMA as an institution is trying to take some leadership and lead the way in this discourse. But the reality is that there remain powerful forces that act as a buffer against change. Funding models, funding pressures. It's difficult for an institution to embrace decolonization or embrace anything when it's struggling to keep the lights on. In addition to financial constraints, the past year has been tumultuous at some of the country's biggest institutions including the resignation of the CEO at the Royal British Columbia Museum, an investigation into discrimination and bullying followed by an apology, and even allegations of racism at the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. Online, several former staff are posting complaints about being marginalized as management looked the other way. I experienced racism at the museum, either from staff, from visitors, or from stakeholders. While deeply troubling, The revelations underscored a broader, renewed willingness for museum workers to come forward to challenge the status quo. For Indigenous artist and former Royal British Columbia curator Luann Neal, exposing the truth is the first step. 
So truth before reconciliation, I've been saying this for the last couple of years since people have been on the topic of reconciliation. And I was just amazed at how quickly everybody ran past truth and went straight to reconciliation as though that were possible. Reconciliation is based on telling the truths and then examining what needs to be done in order to reconcile that truth. And the truth, unfortunately, is always something that's happened as an interaction between colonial governments and colonial people and First Nations people or Indigenous people, as the term we use now. And it often results in something that's happened to our people. Things have been taken away, being dispossessed, being removed from our lands. Well, those truths need to be told so that we understand what happened, what was incorrect or wrong about it, so that we can actually redress it. So I really encourage people always to look for what all the truths are before they start talking about reconciliation. That is something that our sector is doing a lot of work in. It has been for a number of years. I think the work that we're doing through the CMA to respond to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's Call to Action 67 is a step in the right direction. But there is an awful lot of work, an awful lot of heavy lifting that needs to take place. And I think an awful lot of acknowledgement and honest acts of atonement that need to take place. The Truth and Reconciliation Report came out in 2015. It produced 94 calls to action. Number 67 calls on the federal government to, quote, provide funding for the Canadian Museum Association to undertake, in collaboration with Aboriginal peoples, a national review of museum policies and best practices to determine the level of compliance with the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People and to make recommendations, end quote. But progress has been slow and funding changes are still to come. Where the sector fails, maybe to live up to the hopes and aspirations of many within the sector and outside of the sector, it's not because of a lack of will, it's because of lack of resources. Again, it goes down to having to choose between engaging in a process, well, first of all, could be capital intensive if you've got to shut down and rebuild an exhibit area, rethink it, reconceptualize it, where you're closing yourself off from revenue streams and also having to engage you know, multi-year investments and choosing to either that or investing in repairing the leaky roof, so to speak. They remain caught in a funding paradigm that has not kept up with the role that they could be playing and should be playing in Canada today. So absent that, unfortunately, you will see a lot of half-hearted performative efforts just to say that, you know, we've done it. You can check the box because there's pressure to do so. You'll see efforts that will fail because the reality is that resources suddenly have to be shifted somewhere else or there's local pressure that will be made to bear. And then there will be efforts at decolonization that take hold and transform the institutions and over time transform the communities in which those institutions are. And so that's what we need to aim for is engaging in a process which over time will transform our communities and will transform our way of thinking and will transform the cultural and political context in which we live and operate. Next installation will be around the Skidans Haida village model. If you look at the model now, 
you don't get a sense that there's haidas around, that we survived, that we're thriving. But on the road to that transformation, Luann Neal says there is much homework to be done. One other thing that I think is really important, and this has become a topic of big discussion with lots of my museum colleagues across the country, is when we talk about repatriation. One of the difficulties because of the uneven practice of documenting thoroughly and properly where different things have come from, there's a lot of confusion right now in various collections as to where different items come from. Because of Indian Affairs and the Indian Act, separating communities, giving them different names. As a result, many museum databases actually use really old, outdated names. And that doesn't help communities when communities are trying to locate where their treasures have landed. And not just artifacts. Some of the stories I've heard about how museums in Canada have confiscated sacred objects and even human remains, I find that, frankly, appalling at any time, but perhaps understandable in the historical context, but certainly not acceptable today. And I think every effort must be made to engage with Indigenous communities, not only to support the act of repatriation, but more to the point, to support an act of healing for both communities. Because I think there needs to be that honest engagement, that acknowledgement of the suffering that's been caused, and then an act of healing. And I believe that to be transformative. Heather George, who curates at the Canadian Museum of History and the Woodland Cultural Centre, says the transformation in thinking and how stories are told is far-reaching. I used to work at a historic home and we had a cone of sugar. And actually, they also had these cones of sugar at Upper Canada Village. And we would talk about how this cone was an example of the family's wealth and they would display it because to be able to have that sugar was a symbol of your wealth. But what we never talked about was the slave trade and the enslavement of people from the African continent who were forced to grow sugar so that there could be sugar in this cone, in this historic home. And those types of stories are the ways that we also get to this anti or decolonial work within museums is to really complicate the historical narrative. And I think that's really good for the public. The challenge of implementing change is complicated by government policy and the expectations that were placed on museums many years ago. As Massimo Bergamini explains, that policy and funding model were developed in the 1970s when the country was much different and healing the divide between Quebec and the rest of Canada was the priority. The funding model that was put in place in the 1970s did not envisage this need. The reality is that the programs that we operate under today, the support programs and frameworks that we operate under today, have not for any meaningful way been updated since then. It was in a period of political flux. The government of Canada felt at the time when national unity and cohesion was a key issue for the country and for the national government, that museums could play a role in unifying the country, in telling stories that brought people together. 
and Governor Cannon rolled out a number of institutional legislative frameworks and program frameworks to support that. But when you think about the context in which those were designed and the context where we are today, and you say these things have not changed since then, you know that there's a terrible misalignment from a program and funding perspective to where we are today. Taking a toll not only on the aspirations of museums, but on their existing collections too. I was talking to the chief executive of a fairly large institution in Western Canada a couple of weeks ago, who was speaking to me about the challenges that they have with current funding models that just are absolutely silent when it comes to capital expenditures. They happen to have a large number of heritage properties that require very specialized maintenance, upkeep, and so on. And they just don't have the capital budget for this. So here are historical artifacts that are just allowed to deteriorate. So what's the future for museums? I do think one of the really beautiful things about the work that museum people do is that they're passionate. Nobody goes into museum work to be rich, and I don't think very many people go into it for notoriety. They do it because they're passionate about the past, and they're passionate about culture, and they're passionate about heritage. And I think that passion is a really strong tool and a really good indication of the ability of our profession to engage in new ways of thinking and engage in unlearning and relearning. More about the future, solutions, and next steps in our next episode. The Canadian Museum Association is the voice for Canada's vibrant museum community. From small volunteer-driven organizations to national institutions, and for the millions of Canadians whose lives are enriched by museums. The Canadian Museums Association podcast is made possible, thanks in part, to funding from the Department of Canadian Heritage as part of the CMA Strengthening the Museum Workforce Initiative. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.